Welcome to the University of Washington's Political Economy Forum. We bring together diverse scholars, policymakers, and citizens to discuss current public policy issues, to inform the public about them, and to find evidence-based solutions. Feel free to visit our website at uwpoliticaleconomy.com. We publish new episodes of this podcast every week. If you have questions or suggestions for discussion topics, please contact us on Twitter at ForumUW or email us at uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. My name is Nicholas Wittstock, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Boaz Miller. Boaz is senior lecturer at the uh, Sevat Academic College, Department of Management Information Systems, in Israel. And today we discuss whether or not technologies, our tools, are value neutral or if they come imbued with values. I think this is a very exciting and important question as people are trying to understand the effects of digital technologies, of of AI, big data on societies. And the question whether all these new technologies come with preloaded values or ideologies even that are somehow embedded in them should be an important thing to get straight at the outset. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and as always, let us know what you think. Hello, Boaz Miller. Hello, Nicolas. Great to have you on the podcast. In recent, or in several recent conversations actually on this podcast, uh, we have sort of danced around the question whether technologies have any values embedded in them. That is, if the tools that we create and use prescribe certain actions that are based on some normative assessment by those that have created it, or maybe have somehow unwittingly gotten inserted into the technology. And I have the general impression that it is very common to reject such an idea, uh, asserting that technologies are always neutral tools Uh, So that the only thing that really matters is what they are used for or or what end they're being used uh, or or put towards. And uh, those uses may be evaluated on a moral dimension, but not the technology itself. Was in your estimation, what exactly uh, is this discussion about and uh, what is its significance? Okay, so as you say, this is, this is a common view that technology is value neutral, but it's common among the public, not so much among philosophers, especially not philosophers of technology. Mm-hmm. So uh, philosophers of technology, actually, the, the common view is the opposite view, that technology is a value laden. Mm-hmm. It's not just the users of the technology that can be evaluated morally or aesthetically or epistemically, but also um, the technology itself. So I guess the debate is about like whether, like if you want to put it in metaphysical terms, whether objects or things, so pure technology, can have values embedded in them independently of the use, of their use. Okay. So like, uh, for example, suppose you look at a gun and think, is the gun by itself before anybody shoots it? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it value-laden? Like, is it good or bad on its own? So this is, I think, what the, the debate is about. Okay. So could you explain that a little bit further? 
what you mean by um, the values that that it has on its own, independent of 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 the use that it's being put to, and and differentiate those two things a little bit more. So um, there are there are different ways to think of values, but um, I think of values or values embedded in technology in dispositional terms. So. Uh, Values are like um, potentials that exist within the object. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, you think, can think about salt, right? Salt is soluble. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's not soluble if you don't put it, it, it doesn't dissolve if you don't put it in water. Got it. So, but it still has that property of, mm -hmm. of, of this uh, propensity to do something. And this propensity, in some sense, is embedded in it, even if it is not, it is not realized. So I think of values in the same way as something that is intrinsic to the material, to the material properties of the object it's, itself. And I want to emphasize that my own like view, I'm, I'm uh, in philosophy, I'm what's called the physicalist. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that there are like uh, um, uh, things other than physical things. So I think that the physical reality is the only reality that exists. So I don't think, for example, that there are numbers independently of objects. And I don't think that there is a mind that exists independently of a body. But I still think that uh, there are values and that there are values within the, the technology uh, itself, within the material artifacts that uh, we call technology. Okay, so so how do these values get in there? So uh, that, that's a that's an interesting question because I thought you'd ask me. So how do I see them? So how, okay. how do I? Uh, but but how do they get in there uh, in the technology? I guess that either by design through intention, mm -hmm. no, um, or by accident, either by omission or just by pure chance. Um, I think that you can say that you know, the technology is value-laden by intention when it has a certain use, and for that use, it has certain properties, and you couldn't justify those particular properties if you didn't have that use. So otherwise, it would, would just be redundant. So if a designer just you know, designs a technology in a way or builds, it makes a technology in a way that it has certain properties, the use of which uh, is pretty much determined or, or there's only one use for, for plausible use for them, then you can say that it, there, are, there are values embedded in the technology by design. Uh, but that can, the, there are other cases, I think, where values are um, embedded accidentally. For example, there are, face recognition algorithms that work pretty well on uh, on uh, white faces of uh, mm -hmm. faces of white people and don't work so well on faces of people of color okay so in that in in, in this case i don't think that there was any intention to to build them in that way so they will you know work less well for different kinds of people but because uh, probably the designers have set, had certain assumptions about you know how a typical face looks like, and probably they tested on uh, the algorithm on a biased sample of faces or something like that. The, the racist value were embedded 
in okay. those algorithms. So that's another way uh, uh, values can enter a technology. Right. So I want to go back to the first example that you give here, or the first avenue through which values may enter a, a physical object here. And to stay with your example of cameras, in a recent paper of yours, you give this example of an iPhone as well. The camera in the iPhone apparently recognizes automatically if someone takes a selfie a picture of their own face and as a result automatically um, changes the properties of the camera in a way that filters the face to a certain extent, right? So you describe how certain, um, effectively there is an aesthetic calculation that is being made by, by the camera or, or by the software um, embedded in the camera to a certain extent. So, so what value is embedded here? And, 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 and what, what does that mean exactly? So I think that in this case, I, I just want to, to, to um, say that I don't know how iPhone actually works because nobody, except for the people right. in Apple, that, that there, are, there are propriety issues. But suppose that they have done something like that. Um, I think that the, the, the values that are embedded in, in that phone are um, aesthetic values, um, values about how you know, attractive people look like, which, and they may also be um, social values, um, for example, about uh, uh, what kind of people are more attractive, you know, mm. uh, in terms of, uh, um, you know, skin color or face deformities, you know, uh, uh, let's, let's say that there's, we can call this like ableist uh, values, mm -hmm. you know. So all kinds of, of values go into the, the algorithm to produce a certain image that people will presumably find attractive. Now, you might argue that the values are not in the technology, right? Are not in mm -hmm. the actual, like, stuff in the iron, in the, like, in yeah. the material itself, but they are in the software, mm -hmm. right? We, you, in a sense, a camera is a camera, it's a value neutral, but sort of algorithms that uh, manipulate the image is are, are where the values are embedded. Now, as I said before, I'm, I'm personally personally a physicalist, so I this whole uh, like software hardware distinction is dubious to me because software uh, is for me is not ideas floating in an abstract right. non-physical reality. So software has material uh, dimensions. It is written in code, which is embedded on, uh, which is stored as you know uh, bits on certain storage devices, and it is run by processors and so on. So, um, so we might think of it as abstract ideas, but abstract ideas still need physical embodiment to produce uh, results. Um, so I find that that whole distinction. Uh, um, dubious but even if you if you agree that there is sort of like content uh distinction between matter and content in some way uh i still think that that would you know whether the, the technology itself is value laden will depend on the way it works so i can think of a scenario where certain uh, um uh, filters require a certain um, graphical algorithms that require a certain processor to be performed. 
Okay. So it's a certain graphic processor which you know calculates, which again calculation is a physical uh, process, uh, calculates some things, some some properties very fast. So it needs a kind of hardware support to produce that particular outcome. You couldn't do it without a certain a hardware enhancer. And if you can find within the hardware some properties that are required for making people more attractive according to certain set of values, and especially if you couldn't find other uses for that, for those uh, properties. So for example, you need a certain function only in order to, to produce a better looking face, then you could say that even if you take, if you accept the content matter distinction, the, the values are in the matter, not just right. in the content, not just in the algorithm. Okay. Just to speak about the other avenue through which values enter a technology that you mentioned, which is by accident. Um, are the, can you give another example of how that might happen? So another, another famous example, uh, similar to the one that I mentioned, um, is um, uh, the example of color photography. Mm -hmm. When in the second half of the 20th century, I'm not sure exactly in, on no, what decade, the color film was uh, introduced to the market. I think by Kodak, but I'm not sure. And one thing that people noticed, some people noticed, that um, it showed uh, people of white, uh, faces of white people very well. So it showed like all of the different uh, shade of pinks that white people have on their faces uh, very well. It didn't show very well faces or, of people of color. Mm -hmm. So they were like, had just you know one or two shades you know not too many shades now that that is a result of uh for for um for a color film to be sensitive uh to a certain shade you have to have certain pigments mm -hmm. in it so the manufacturers just didn't put lots of you know, different kinds of pigments that represent all of the different shades of brown as they mm -hmm. put the pigments that represent the different shades of pink um and no, I, I would I wouldn't say funny, but like as a historical fact, that this was changed not because uh, people of color complained; they did complain, but that didn't trigger a change. But because um, furniture manufacturers complained that the the color films did not represent the different shades of brown of their furniture, so <laughs> all of the furniture looked the same. So I guess that this is another case where I. At least I don't want to ascribe uh, intentionality to, to you know, intention to the people who made the, the color film. They had certain assumptions uh, about, you know, how, um, you know, how it would be used, but they were in a sense racist. Add to that the fact that the, the, the images that were used to calibrate the, the films were of a white woman. So that's another way in which, you know, it didn't, no, they didn't catch it when they designed it, and they didn't catch it when they tested. So uh, there mm -hmm. were two omissions. And again, I don't think there was any intention behind the, this process. This just reflected the kind of the sort of a common values of the time. Okay. Yeah. So thank you. So the let, let's get back to the question that you thought I was going to ask earlier, which is so so how do we 
identify these values, right? So um, one way to think about um, some of what you said would be to say, okay, I suppose the way that you identify the values that are potentially in the technology, but for sure somehow uh, either consciously or unconsciously in the mind of the creator of the technology um, makes itself felt or visible or heard in how they promote or incentivize or make possible certain behaviors, right? Is, is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, I, I would say more generally, you know, uh, that um, we don't have access to other people's minds, direct mm-hmm. access, but we still make all the, all, no, we make lots of inferences about other people's motivations, desire, and so on, based on their behavior, based on the outcomes of their behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's it, there's nothing like there's nothing fishy about doing the same thing about technology or about technology mm-hmm. designers. So it's it's just the kind of usual inference that we make about uh, uh, the behavior of people based on or the intentions of people based on their behavior. So and of course we can get it wrong, or mm-hmm. we can debate, you know, whether people had the intentions or, or the intention or not. So that's one way, just by reflecting on on you know behavior. Um, another way, which is um, kind of straightforward, sometimes people explicitly state their intended values. Right. Uh, so there are design documents, there are um, uh, brochures, or there are like sometimes you know the the the, the values are expressed uh, explicitly. So uh, companies that uh, uh, make green products. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, make sure that you know that their product is green, mm-hmm. right? That it's energy efficient and so on. So sometimes you just need to to ask the people, or don't even ask, just you know, see what they say about the product or the technology that they make. Uh, so that's another way. And a third way, uh, as I mentioned, is by reflection. So as I said, uh, if you find a certain property that has a certain use which is value laden. And that property has no other justification. Then you can infer that it is that the technology itself is value-laden or has a certain value. Okay. I suppose one question would be: Why does this matter? Does this matter beyond the discussion of what should be the intentions behind uh, people's actions and? Um, you know, how should people behave? What What is the most pro-social way that we can organize the way in which people interact? How does this focus on technologies that people sometimes create have any any significance beyond that? Is this a redundant uh, topic or is this somehow important in addition to conversations about is racism good or bad? And um, should people be uh, behaving in a racist way? Okay, uh, that, that's one conversation or debate. Um, but then in, on top of that, you know, you're now opening this idea of, okay, can technology somehow embed the racism, either wittingly or unwittingly, of the designer? Is this any issue that is in any way significant beyond the original conversation about whether or not people should or shouldn't be racist? Um, yeah, I think I think it does. The, the discussion goes beyond, like you know, uh, mm-hmm. of technology is different from the desi- from the discussion of you know people. It's okay. this way. 
first, uh, the, the ideology of value neutrality has been used uh, to evade responsibility mm-hmm. in many cases. So it's common among engineers, technology producers um, to say, look, we are just making an artifact which is value neutral. We don't have to reflect on, 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 on what we do. It's the use, it's only the, the, the stage of use that uh, values enter the picture. So it's sort of like give them a card blanche to do whatever mm. they want. So they say, we are just you know, making something. It's not our responsibility how people would use it. But if you acknowledge that whatever it is they're making is value laden to begin with from, from, from the, the, the early stages of the process, then of course they are. Uh, accountable and responsible for the thing that they make and have to discuss it. So at, at least, you know, I, I would say that rejecting the ideology of value freedom is important in order uh, to make technology producers more responsible and accountable to the technology mm-hmm. that they produce. We need to change engineering culture mm-hmm. um, in, in a way. That's that's one thing. Another thing I think that the discussion is different from uh, just discussion of values in general is that um, values in, embedded in technology outlive their um, designers. Mm-hmm. So um, you have all of those obsolete uh, computer systems in government, in business uh, that um, still run on code that nobody can understand anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are organizations and people are afraid to replace them because they are operational like and, and they, they are used for uh, serious uh, things. And so they're afraid, they are afraid to replace them. They are afraid to touch them. And whatever values were embedded in them, you know, when they were made, you know, they... And their designers are no longer with us, either dead mm-hmm. or retired, or, or I don't know. Uh, they still are they're still being used to run our lives. And so in that sense, they affect our lives uh, um, um, even much later than, you know, uh, uh, than they were supposed to, or they outlive their creators. Buildings, uh, bridges, uh, infrastructure in general has this property. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's true, but they say that uh, you know we still are uh, um, um, drive by st- on some routes that you know were uh, made by the Romans. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there's a sense in which you know uh, infrastructures you know tend to persist long after. Uh, um, uh, their original uh, creation. So they built, you know, uh, um, telegraph lines where they built uh, uh, railroads, and mm-hmm. then they replaced them with uh, telephone lines, and then they put, I don't know, uh, optic fibers or whatever. But the same route, you know, that was initially chosen is the route that will still be continued to be chosen. And if this choice was value laden, for example, it says that it's more important 
to cut uh, quickly, you know, across a valley than to preserve the environment, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to have some uh, passage for wild animals, you know, or something like that. You know, there was certain uh, um, value-laden decision that was made in the creation of that technology long ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We still are, in a sense, perpetuating uh, those values long after you know the, the the original technology is no longer with us or 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 at least to the original designers and builders are no longer with us so in that sense it's important when we design technology or use it to to reflect on the the values that are in it or that are going to be in it and not just about people's actions and you know racism and values in general yeah would you say that there's also some danger i suppose or i mean i don't want to be alarmist right but um is there also the potential that you make i think it's it's easy to imagine that um in creating any kind of tool or solution to a problem you make some sort of trade off that you say okay i'm arriving at some fork in the road where i have to decide for one way to solve some, some sort of problem and for that solution, it obviously matters, you know, what my values are, right? Like, what am I trying to achieve? What am I willing to give up in pursuit of that? And now a potential effect of that might be that this gets locked in somehow, right? The, the way in which yeah. I decide on that trade-off today um, might somehow lock in how people are able to decide on similar trade-offs in, I don't know, 20 years' time. Right? Yeah. And, and one way that that might happen, I mean, one way that you've just described is that um, there is a certain status quo bias in how you design certain infrastructure projects, for sure. Um, another way that I could imagine that um, happening would be that a decision becomes normalized somehow, right? That people have a tough time imagining things being another way or, or yeah. that, um, yeah, you know, I mean, okay, this might be a little bit of a reach, right? But but that you might say, okay, well, yeah, um, the technology of cameras works better for white people for some reason, and that that's somehow normalized. This might be a little bit of a strained example in that it seems like this is not necessary and has already been changed to a certain amount. But um, may, maybe you can think of an example where that where that occurs. So, right, you can think about, you know, the private car as a kind of mm-hmm. example, you know, who it works for, who it doesn't work for, you know, what kind of um, choices were made where, you know, roads were designed uh, for uh, private vehicles other mm-hmm. than, you know, other modes of transportation. So, of course, that, you know, that helps some population and doesn't help other populations. Um, now, you said something about values being locked in. Mm-hmm. which is, I, I like that that expression. There's also another uh, point is that um, usually in our society, the, like, the design of technology is seen as something for experts, not yeah. as a political decision. Mm-hmm. So usually uh, political decisions um, go through some process of evaluation or political evaluation. There are different uh, stakeholders and they debate the decision. Not necessarily that the process doesn't necessarily work work well in all cases, but it still it exists, especially in uh, uh, liberal democracies. 
But when it comes to technology, especially to the use of technology in the private, uh, in the public uh, sphere, the sort of like political decisions or values that go, that are locked in, in as you said, in the technology, they bypass the usual uh, check and checks and balances that other political decisions uh, are subject to. Another example by Robert Rosenberg, he talks about public benches that are divided mm-hmm. by separators. And the decision whether how to build you know, public uh, benches might seem something as a pure issue of comfort or aesthetics or something like that. But those dividers between seats have a very particular purpose, which is to prevent homeless people from uh, um, lying on them. Now, it's much easier to promote this kind of solution or alleged solution to the problem of homeless people through the design of uh, benches than to go through a proper political process where you have to debate the different options and also give representation to different uh, parties and stakeholders and so on, because that's a a tough uh, social problem. That kind of, of, of those kinds of decisions that are you know done through technology are just um, they go out unnoticed. Another example that people talk about is um, algorithm for recidivism uh, in the criminal uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the American criminal uh, justice system. So there are those all kinds of algorithms that predict or supposedly predict. Uh, the chances that an accused person will commit another crime and they make recommendations for uh, the duration of, uh, for, for punishment and duration of prison and so on. And they work like black boxes. Nobody mm-hmm. really knows how they work. Their algorithms are proprietary, so you can't you know, examine them and see how they work. And some people that have done some uh, um, uh, try to see how they actually work have argued that they embed all kinds of values, including racist values, because they um, correlate indirectly, but still do um, race with chances uh, um, of of you know of committing a crime, mm-hmm. which is something that is uh, you couldn't do like explicitly you right. couldn't the judge could not say no this person is black therefore i sentence him to a lot to to a longer time in prison that that's unthinkable mm-hmm. but when it's done through a technology that correlates let's say zip code with uh, uh chances of committing a crime and this zip code actually ref- reflected the, the fact that in a certain area more pl- black people live then it sort of like goes entirely under the radar and and is seen as neutral and objective. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, you know, you enter some data, you get get some input, you get some output, and that's it. You know, there was no human judgment involved, so there couldn't have been, and it's value-free, so there couldn't have been bias. Of course there is, but it's harder to notice it. Absolutely, yeah. So there is another way in which, I'm not sure if this is necessarily a perfect example of uh, values being embedded in technology, but I think in some way it must be. Um, So I think technologies, I think in an interesting way, sometimes change our understanding of certain things, maybe intelligence 
is the best current example where I, computers have completely changed what people mean by that word in a certain way. But staying with your criminal justice example, what I've noticed is that a lot of people talk about algorithms of the kind that you described in terms of their efficiency or um, you know, effectiveness in identifying people that may reoffend in the future or debate to what extent um, a, an algorithm or some sort of um, automated process might be more effective in identifying who is guilty and who isn't than, um, in the American example, a, a jury might be. So what I think is significant about that is that it completely changes the conception of what a justice system is for, right? So in some way, it recasts what, what justice is, right? And I'm not sure if it's as invisible as, as, as your example before that, but I, I guess I don't hear that discussed very often. So I suppose in some way, it is not as explicit as, 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 as I might think. But, I think um, that accuracy, accuracy and efficiency are values. Absolutely. Uh, and, yeah. And and you can trade them off against other values. You know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they sometimes they promote fairness and justice. Sometimes they don't. You know, that that's efficiency and 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 accuracy are values are important values. And as you say, once we have algorithms that are, um, realize those or allegedly realize those values we start to think about justice itself in terms of those two values alone mm -hmm. and don't think about other values. Maybe, you know, we don't want, um, we don't want to achieve accurate judge, uh, accurate, uh, very accurate judgment if the, the price is uh, uh, appealing to ra is racism, you know, is mm -hmm. profiling. You know, there, there are, there are um, so we can still weigh values against each other. Um, but you're right that once we have those uh, systems in place, we tend to think of the process and product as sort of, as sort of defining the very thing that we want. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a general, uh, um, uh, that's a gen this is a general uh, fact about technology. Um, one of the things that technology does is to open up practicable uh, possibilities for action. Right. So you it just enables you in the real world to do things that you couldn't do before that. Um, like, you know, reaching the moon is one example, but also, you know, just, uh, you know, taking a photo and looking at it. You mm -hmm. couldn't do that. I don't know how old you are, but, you know, when mm -hmm. I was uh, growing up, you didn't have that instant uh, 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 way just to take a photo and just see it. You know, mm -hmm. when I tell my kids that uh, uh, you could, couldn't do it, you know. You had to wait a few weeks for, for you know, for the film to be developed. To, to, they, they don't believe me. So, um, <laughs> so once you have that, or you can, you know, in, or, or you have the possibility of sharing a photo or, or sharing a video, that entirely changes uh, uh, the the space of possibilities that you have for action. That, that mm -hmm. totally trans it transforms it. So. It's a bit trivial, but you know, uh, um, a, a kid could not dream of being a YouTube celebrity, right? You know, without YouTube, without and all of you know, and a smartphone and so on. That that concept didn't didn't exist, and now it's something that many people desire to be. You know, an influence, an influencer. That's something mm -hmm. you know, people want to be. That thing didn't exist before. 
And mm-hmm. we said that kind of like life trajectory, possible life trajectory didn't exist. So in a sense, technology, uh, the, the, the practical possibilities that technology opens up define for us what the good life is. Right. What is the life worth living? What mm-hmm. the aims? What the aims are that we want to achieve? Um, and that's huge. Absolutely. So you touched on this in several of your answers, um, but one question that a listener may ask is, um, okay, I can see, you know, there's obviously some, may, maybe there's some extent to which um, values are at the very least um, acted upon or um, reproduced through some of the tools that we create. But now what, right? Like what, what is the practical relevance of that um, insight? Uh, what should we do about this? You mentioned that maybe we should be a little bit more conscious of that in the actual creation and design process. There's an interesting way in which technologies are often developed and then entrenched or or implemented through a a market test, but they aren't really subjected to the same deliberative or uh, political institutions that typically shape the way in which um, a lot of societies make decisions about how to live together. Um, what, what should we do with this inside? Where do we go from here? So the fir- one thing or the first thing that I think we should do is to uh, um, regulate technology more. Mm-hmm. So we regulate um, the uh, drugs, the, the, manufacturing, the manufacturing and the distribution of drugs. You, and you cannot just sell any drug uh, that you want. It has to be approved by a certain process that shows that it's not dangerous, it's not harmful, and it is actually effective. And it has to be prescribed by a doctor, and you have to have a prescription, and so on. You have very heavy regulation uh, uh, that Not particularly the... successful, though. No, not particularly no. successful, but, you know, things could have been worse. And drugs, of course, are technology. Right. Right. Uh, you know, there are, there are material artifacts, you use them in certain ways, they have the, uh, certain uh, results and so on. So that, but we don't think about them often as technology, but they are, and they are subject to heavy regulation. Um, but we don't think, for example, of algorithms in the same way. So I'm not even sure that, I'm pretty sure that not actually, that if I want to develop a face recognition algorithm, you know, and I work in some university, although more, more, most of this research is, is done in the private sector, but some of it is done in public universities, and I want to work on that, I am not sure, even sure I have to submit a, a, an ethical review. I, I have to go to an ethical review board mm-hmm. to do that, which if I even just wanted to, to uh, perform a very simple experiment on human subjects, you know, uh, in psychology, I, I'd have to go through that. There has to be some process of proving that. But if I have, if I want to develop an algorithm for face recognition or mm-hmm. for, you know, uh, um, now people talk about a lot about synthetic media, about uh, creating videos or deep fakes or this sort of thing. I there is no regulation, no inter, not no internal regulation, no or there's no either in the public or private sector, you know, there are no checks or, or, or steps along the way that I have to say, well, this is ethical or this is uh, uh, this um, algorithm 
that is not harmful. And so I don't have to, I'm not subject to any evaluation. So introducing the usual uh, um, kind of regulation and evaluation, moral and ethical that we have on other processes of research and development of pharmaceutical uh, um, products to algorithms, to other forms of technologies that we deem as potentially harmful or significant, that is the first step. Uh-huh. As you said, you know, currently the default is that uh, um, some corporation you know, releases a new product uh, to the market, and then it starts to get back uh, backlash and starts to improve it. Uh-huh. So, you know, there, there was, there's this, uh, this example of um, Facebook that introduced Meta. Now, uh, Facebook in, introduced um, some feature that would uh, identify some photos in your uh, timeline. Said, you know, this happened a year ago. Would you like to celebrate that moment? And there right. was a, an, an, affor- an unfortunate case where um, it recognized, you know, a father saw a picture of his dead, do- dead daughter. Uh-huh. And with this kind of happy uh, um, fr- uh, frame saying, you know, would you like to celebrate her birthday or something like that? So, you know, a year. And of course, you know, the, the, you know, a bit of reflection by the engineers that designed that feature would lead them to check whether, you know, the, the, uh, the event that they are identifying is a happy event. Right, but no, of course they, they. But they had this kind of Silicon Valley ideology that you know life is is pretty awesome, and people on on social networks simply celebrate their lives. They don't put the, the sad stuff, um, and uh, they didn't do that. Add to that the fact that they they like had no financial incentive, so it's it's uh, cheaper for Facebook to release the product and then uh, settle in lawsuits for the, the, the harms that the, the features uh, have caused, then to actually test it in advance. Right. It's just, you know, it, it's sort of like some of those companies just treat us as their laboratory. So they mm-hmm. release their products on us, test them. If they are very harmful, then they improve them. They can settle in court or pay damages, but it's still for them a more efficient process than actually embedding the checks and balances uh, in the in the process of designing and releasing it, or, or at least this is what they think. I'm not sure that it's actually better for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the the public backlash uh, is is huge. Sometimes they uh, sometimes uh, um, um, sometimes it doesn't work. People uh, were alarmed by Google Glass, for example. Yeah, but I feel like those it examples... never met the market. So, yeah. so sometimes it doesn't work, but at least this is how they think or they're used to doing things. So I, I'm with you with these examples. However, I think the reason why I'm relatively less worried about those examples is because there is um, this market interchange with people that can evaluate whether or not the technology has desirable effects on their lives. And if it doesn't, they can decide either not to use it or in these cases that you're describing, there was even a public backlash against some features of the technology. What I'm more worried about is cases in which these effects are a lot more diffuse or obscure or don't materialize fast enough, right? So the, the feedback loops are longer. 
yeah. and then you know um, you notice you know 10 years later you finally figure out what it was you know that in some way changed the way in which um, society I suppose worked for the uh, was affected by the wars or, or a particular person and then you realize oh my god it was this design decision in this technology right and then it's too late so, so, so that's what I would be more worried about so yeah I'm, I'm... I'm with you to some extent. I'm not sure that people have a choice, always have a choice, especially when it Fair comes enough. to mm-hmm. monopolistic bodies. You know, there's one search provider. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Google. And once you are aligned with it, you know, and there are two um, operating systems for smartphones. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can go either with Apple or with Google. No, there, there isn't lots of, there isn't a lot of choice here. No, I was... No, I would be much happier if there were like 16 uh, mm-hmm. search engines or operating systems that divided the market equally between them. Then you could actually see you know, people having a choice, choosing the better product. Um, and sometimes, you know, that, that person who saw uh, a sad picture of his daughter, you know, he didn't choose that. That was came to right. him as a surprise. So I'm not sure, you know, the, I'm not sure there is always that choice, but I, I agree that sometimes the effect is subtle and long term. Mm-hmm. So w- one example that um, Isaac Record from from Michigan State University and I um, have written about uh, is um, the case of uh, search suggestions in mm-hmm. uh, in search engines. When I say search engines, I mean Google because it's easy. You know, <laughs> There's basically just one. Uh, and um, what we argued there is that, um, you know, search suggestions, they, uh, they, are, they appear involuntarily. You don't choose what suggestions uh, you see. They react to your uh, uh, typing in real time. Mm-hmm. So they sort of like interfere on your thought, okay. you know, on your thought process involuntarily in real time and in a reactive way. No other technology does that. You know, you can you know, plant subliminal messages in advertisement, but it's not you know, directed. It doesn't target your particular thought right now. Right. Right? Okay. It's not that you're thinking about Coke and then you see you know, uh, mm. uh, an ad for Coke. It, it doesn't work like this. The, the, uh, but, but autocomplete does work like this because if you start typing, it sort of reacts to the, your very thought at that moment. Um, Again, that's a new technological possibility. This has existed before. And um, what we argue, of course, that the, the search suggestions themselves are value-laden. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are those famous examples. There was the UN uh, ad campaign about offensive search suggestions uh, for, uh, for sentence that started with women should. Mm-hmm. So they show that the common... Uh, um, auto suggestions where you where women should stay at home, women should not vote, those sort of things. So these are, of course, value-laden uh, uh, decisions. Um, but in a sense, even when it works well, you know, it, it, when it anticipates your actual needs, uh, your actual search needs, and sort of like saves your time in typing something or refines your search terms in a way that is more productive, <coughs> It still influences you in the long term, sort of like mm-hmm. trains you to think in a certain way. Right. Um, 
which may or may not be good, you know, that it, it's up, up for grabs, but st still it has this kind of um, long-term subtle uh, uh, um, influence that you talk about because you're just, you get more and more used to, you know, searching information a certain way, expecting mm -hmm. certain mm -hmm. decisions to come going to some sources of information rather than others, you know, phrasing your queries in certain ways that lead you to some avenues and not to others. And that effect is subtle, but it, it exists, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it's even uh, strong. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose the weird thing about that is that it's really tough to say what the effects of that are going to be in advance, right? So yeah. I'm not even sure that a regulatory approach would really be able to have much to say about that right because I, I don't know right like nobody knows what the effects of that are going to be i think that, that, that at least you know the, the google has the resources to test what the influence is at least in the short term but also in yeah. the long term mm. you know they have plenty of resources they do that you know they have a and b testing uh, mm -hmm. uh a and b tests where they they uh test the you know, even minor changes in the interface, how they affect people's behavior. They actually have lots of knowledge how those little changes affect people's behavior. <laughs> but it's not necessarily the, the knowledge that is useful for, for us. Right? They don't necessarily test, you know, the, the things that we care about. They test the things they care about. Yeah, okay, fair enough, right? But I mean, I think if, if we're trying to find an example of something that would only have or where the important effects are long-term and obscure or, or, or unclear, subtle, I think the issue it would be, right, that that's, I mean, okay, so like you can only bring out a search engine after you've done 10 years of testing, like a pharmaceutical product. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's the yeah. solution. I don't know. Um, and of course, the, there, are, there are unintended consequences. You know, whenever you start to release a technology, you can't predict with you know, all of the changes it will induce in, in people's life. Uh, exactly, yeah. Uh, that, that's, you know, I'm not, there's a, I'm, I'm, you can hear some technological determinism in what I say. I think mm -hmm, the technology mm -hmm. does determine stuff, but I'm not sort of like total determinist to say that certain technology has certain effects that are the, totally determined by it. Context matters. Um, sometimes it can affect different people in different ways in different societies, it, you know, according to different uses, there are unintended consequences that the, neither the designers nor the user thought about. I'm not saying that you can predict any, you know, uh, everything or that, that it has just one way, you know, that it shapes, technology has this just one way it shapes people. But, you know, I, I'm returning to my point. It's more more than just, you know, um, directing you into one way of, of action. It sort of like opens uh, uh, a space of possibilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and still, you know, within those possibilities, uh, uh, you can still choose, but uh, still, you know, opening up a space of possibilities for human beings, that's a huge thing. Absolutely. Boaz Miller, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum podcast.
podcast. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Wittstock. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we're curious about your feedback. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or concerns, please contact uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you.